Baja Blast on deck. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I don't got ice in my drinks. I can't do the same thing that you're doing. Today on the podcast, Tyrion 11. A Dance with Dragons. A Feast with Dragons. Outside. In the sweltering heat of Marine. Well, partially in a tent. Partially outside. Feels like the tent would also be sweltering. Yeah. Gross. Mm-hmm. Given the description at the beginning of the chapter. Oh my God. Everything happening. Perfect. Let's pretend we're the healer at the top of the podcast here. You know, at the very beginning of the chapter. Mm-hmm. And let's use it as an analogy. It doesn't have to be a direct translation, but let's say it's the state of the world right now. The healer entered the tent, <laughs> murmuring pleasantries, but one sniff of the foul air and a glance of Yezin Zokagas put an end to that. The pale mare, the man told Sweets. What a surprise, Tyrion thought. Who could have guessed? Aside from any man with a nose and me with half of one. Yezin was burning with fever, squirming fitfully in a pool of his own excrement. His shit had turned to brown slime streaked with blood. It's kind of like how George describes when a cloak or a doublet is slashed with velvet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to like it signify like house colors or something exactly. like that. Yeah. And just a little bit of personality right, accident within right. the, the material I itself. hate this. In this case, the material is, is sick shit. Mm-hmm. Shit's bad enough when mm-hmm. it's streaked with any color. Yeah. But when it's sick shit. Right. You know it's what I mean? Like level. he's really going deep with this. And I feel like I understand the sickness a lot more now. Yeah. Like a lot of some of the the results of the problem that it's causing to the biology is now like so intimately being described to us. Now they understand the colors. Right. So I like kind of change your perspective a little. Yeah. I'm kind of, rem- it's kind of making me think of how when George was talking about the Brindled men in Southeros, mm-hmm. it's kind of reminding me of that sort of dark with another dark color within it, okay. streaked within it, you know? <laughs> Great. And it, sometimes, like the other day, my dog ate a bunch of stuff he shouldn't have, ate, have eaten off the counter. Right. And it was like two days of, of like, uh, not musical chairs, but some kind of game where, like, you're trying to beat the universe's the odds of getting mucusly. I got to stop there. Nasty. Yeah, I yeah. don't really like. <laughs> I don't want to go too far down this. Trying to like catch it on. or think of different strategies <laughs> right, and right. to to head it off. But Gosh. in this situation, there's no strategy necessary because they're all his slaves. They're all his. In this case, his favorite slaves. And the state of the tent, the vibe of the tent, him moaning and just freely shitting down his leg. Him. They but can't turn him over right. or move him. You know what I mean? So it's like, right. not only is that happening, but he's just like laying in it. He's you laying, know? but it's also his tent. And he's the guy. He's the most, he's the most wealthy nobleman it's his tent now, in Yunkai. Really? What do you think about it? And it's completely his tent. He's right. he's marked the whole thing. <laughs> the whole thing is his. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's no like uh, trying to stop him or trying to end this it's just kind of like we have to get through it and we all have to agree that we're getting through this together because this guy owns us mm-hmm. i don't know it's weird i couldn't help but think about the chapter right before this because we had other similar medical issues with um big oh, yeah. and his whole they couldn't even stand the smell of him letting like, yeah. the pus out of his um oh yeah injury and so I was like, I can't decide which one would probably be worse, this one or the Tyrion situation or Victorian situation. I think that the thing that adds to this like chaotic nature of this disease mm-hmm. is that so much rides on so much 
many people's lives right on the outcome of whether what or not he recovers. Yeah. And we He's spend, got 600 slave soldiers. Right. And probably plus them. So like a retinue of of nice ones. Mm-hmm. On and he's the that. richest man who's there. He's mm-hmm. like, he's the guy. Right. And so, as you would say, I feel like that's like um, so much of the first half of this chapter mm-hmm. is just overshadowed by this very intimate and painful and yeah. unpleasant disease that this man is going through mm. um, and how that's going to eventually affect all these people that are he's in charge of. And as Tyrion well, is well aware and the reason why... He, the action of the chapter ensues is because it's not a good outlook. Yeah, not at this point. The next step for him is likely back to the blocks to be sold again for auction. Maybe. And so maybe the state right now of being in a, a field of war, we could call it that, with trebuchets being built up all around and different uh lar- different sized bolts meant for the dragon that we're all scared of now. Mm-hmm. If it if it returns with someone that may or may not be dead, this this uncertainty, but this desire to keep moving forward and to get as much as they can from these people that it's, it's not normal that we'd be outside of their walls with an army or with another army coming to help us and then others behind them. But like this wonderful opportunity to sack someone that was not really an ally, but someone that you really couldn't just, just all decide to go fight all at once. It's just a perfect situation for mm-hmm. them. And they don't want to waste it. And it's so interesting that the that the universe, or in this case, George, decided to have the uh, bloody flux, the palmare, whatever you want to call it, this crazy infectious disease to spread among their camp right. at this time. Right. And to be taken down the, right in this case, the most important of them, but also arguably the most useless. Well, and that's like so much of the realities of war, period. You look at wars through American history, which is what I would be most familiar with, how often disease killed people more so than the fighting itself. And Tyrion makes some really interesting observations. At some point in the chapter, he's like, if Daenerys was really smart, he wouldn't allow, she would contaminate all the wells. And so everybody would be forced to drink this really messed up, nasty water that's mm. making everybody sick. Yeah. Just let the disease take everybody out. I mean, that's going to lay everybody flat. You see also as they walk into Brown Ben Plum's tent. There's well a moment said. of like, it's like a tongue twister to say it too <laughs> I know. fast. <laughs> Don't make me self-conscious about it because I won't no, be able to do job. it again. <laughs> um, when they walk into the tent and everyone's like understands where they came from and it's like, oh wait a second, which is just like way too hashtag relatable oh my gosh, right to now. what we're going through right, right not now. Not a single mask in this camp to be found. It's messed up. I they know. like walk right in without even doing it, getting tested or doing anything. Right. And they're like, hey, um, but it's a very serious issue, and so I think Tyrion's. Um, Basically, this whole chapter, the way that I saw it, was very much about Tyrion flexing his knowledge, mostly through his internal dialogue mm-hmm. of, um, like, the war and Daenerys' strategy, like we we're talking about, um, what he, what she could have potentially, or her people could have done better to fix this. Um, he's, like, running around this camp, his bells are swinging and, pl- and making sounds, and he's, like, the smartest guy out there thinking about dragons, thinking about these political players that he needs to make allies with thinking a lot about strategy and kind of the best position that he and his squad needs to be in in order to survive right and i love that perspective because we've just we've seen a lot of different perspectives of this pending battle i mean i feel like over the course of the last how many chapters this is like pretty much all we have to talk about and then the wind sample chapters last year a lot of those are centered around this conflict too exactly and so now we're continuing to get literally in the trenches 
I don't know how much yeah. deeper into the trenches we can go. So we're we're the stuff around us that we're seeing is like the bottom of the barrel, yeah. lowest of the low. And then we've got Tyrion here who's just thinking 5,000 steps ahead of the majority of the people in this camp. I think it's a really cool juxtaposition and is cool to see Tyrion kind of start to take action and make real moves. Yeah. He's it, been making moves, but you know, he like almost didn't even have to take act. He didn't almost didn't even have to try that hard to right. go from being in at the beginning of this chapter. I'm going to finish that, that paragraph or at least that passage. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, he did, it didn't take him. It didn't take him long to go from there to, or rather that much effort to go from there to a tent where he's presumably about to be served wine. Right. And have this he's gold so collar taken off of his neck. Yeah. Right. It's like a big, that's a big transformation when you think about the the chaos that they're in the middle of. And when I think of Tyrion in A Dance with Dragons, I often, and I've said this before, I I, I don't usually think about anything but these Miranese chapters. Mm-hmm. But obviously there's a lot more, but these just stuck out to me so much in my first read through the series years back. And uh, this one's like the the gross one that I think of. Like the other one's fine because we're, we're getting our feet and like... Feeling what happens to Jorah, I think I feel it inside of me. Sure. And if we're all aspects like different faces of the many face God within this world of in Planetos, in this world of Planetos, then um, feeling empathy for who's what's happening around you is totally normal. It makes right. sense. So as the right. reader, I'm trying not to care too much about Jorah or not care about him because right now, like I know he's going to be okay or something because he's an important character. I just in general. The last chapter in this one, like, feel the physical pain that he's going through. Right. Don't really care that much for Yezin, but right. it's cool to learn that he's nice. I'm still not sure about the importance of that, how it sort of fits into the, the poetic narrative of all the different truths that, that George is trying to put in to, I guess, impress upon us more of the, like, symmetry of the world that he's trying to make obvious. But I feel a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that you were talking about before, about his, uh, being 10 steps ahead or however many steps ahead you said he was comes from being the person that he was in Westeros. And, you know, he was thinking about how the serving class is so much like the slave class here in the freeze or not the free cities, but here in slavers Bay being someone that was already navigating these people, no matter the class that he's in now being stuck in the situation. I think that that sort of like is piled onto the point of him not having to try that hard because I don't think he has to try that hard to be thinking in a different way than these people. No. And this this chapter is basically like a a top-down overhead drone flying around look at someone that's just not thinking on the same plane as everyone around him and they're they've kind of got this like towny vibe about them. They're just kind of like, "Yeah, well, I heard that she is got killed down in the gutter and he can't help but right, jump in." All right. What was it? What did it say? So that wisdom in a in a, in a moment like this would call for silence. Yeah, and he's like, you can just kind of feel the tension. We've all been in those situations where somebody's saying something, and you're just like, don't say anything, don't get involved, and then he kind of jumps in to join in the conversation. I um, wish that that ha- happened around me ever. Usually, I say something stupid, and people are like, what? And I'm like, oh yeah, but yeah. it feels good in moments like that because it's like you need to understand why you're talking about mm-hmm. what you're talking about. You need to know what you're saying in order to have good communication. And I think that it's often overlooked whenever you're in the company of the the people around the watering hole. And uh, it's not that important. We're all just kind of like spitballing. Right. And it's more of a, of a, of a 
what you're saying is more of personal, more of a personal representation of how you'd like to be regarded in that moment, but also in such a, a crazy situation that they're in with chaos. I guess it hasn't really erupted yet, but you can feel that it's coming close. It's mingled with needing to be labeled, but also trying to pull some kind of sense of order into the world. And it reminds me so much of what the world's going through right now. And it's just so funny that this is like a plague-born chapter in the midst of all that stuff. I know. When we, were, when we were prepping to read this chapter, I was like, we should have talked about this when we did our <laughs> quarantine special many moons ago when we were sweet summer children. Um, I don't know if this is exactly the same point of time that you're talking about, but I think it kind of ties into a couple of different things you said. Um, Tyrion is thinking about, he's like, he says internally in his mind that the most insidious thing about bondage was how easy it was to grow accustomed to it. The life of most slaves was not all that different from the life of a serving man at Casterly Rock, it seemed to him. True, some slave owners and their overseers were brutal and cruel, but the same was true of some Westeros lords and their stewards and bailiffs. All of them, their captain of arms. All right, of right. And so um, hearing, as he's kind of at this like well and going through, I think that's all kind of at the same time. Honestly, I can't remember. Anyway, as he's going through his tasks and he's talking to the soldiers and he's at the well, he's overhearing these conversations. He's thinking about this idea of slavery and bondage and seeing how it takes many different forms with many different names, but it's really the same concept at the end of the day. Um, Just made me think a lot about what we see when Daenerys eventually tries to take over Westeros what lies ahead with those types of problems that she may or may not have right. with, you know, if she can't handle the issue here in Marine, how yeah. is she going to handle the issue, which is the same thing, but with a different name over in Westeros. And um, I just thought that was a, a cool addition to on top of getting some of these opinions of people who are just going with the flow. Yeah. We're also kind of understanding that this is a problem I think this is like the first time I feel like we're having a conversation, quote unquote, About that this. this is a problem. And it's not even a conversation. Elsewhere. Yeah. And not just here in Marine. Like, that's not as black and white. So I thought that was really interesting. It's deep in the heart of A Dance of Dragons, deep in the heart of Book Five in a Tyrion chapter where it starts out, there's shit blossoming from his master's legs. <laughs> deep within it is, this, is a couple blocks. There's also some stuff associated with how he feels about, I think, not only Tywin, but just like God. Or mm-hmm. the gods and his situation in life and like the the fairness of everything and how everything is sorted out. I've always had suspicions of how Tyrion feels. I think we all kind of have an idea when we're reading these books. We're reading any books, really, if the author's good, of how this person really feels about the world. And it's like the, how I feel about the world, but no one's going to ask me. Sometimes people might ask me. Very few people really ask me what I'm thinking about <laughs> stuff. You know what I mean? Unless I'm like, we're locked into a conversation right. like this where it's like you have to talk for at least an hour or more and then stuff comes out of it. We didn't get that opportunity with Tyrion, but like I said, buried within the heart of this book, George gives us some, all right, flat out, here's what's going on. And it's cool because if we can imagine that Tyrion does eventually team up with Danny. And she does go to Westeros. This is coming off of the back of the last chapter that we talked about. We know that the way that Essos is kind of like the old version, but it never was as good as what Westeros could be and how fertile it is and how ripe for the taking it is and how early it is and its advancement to become like a, air quotes, modernized society. Even though what they're doing over here in the East is essentially what what we're doing in the West, 
it's so much obviously worse here because we nail children to beams right. outside of the of city. Of course. It's, it's a little bit more black and white. People eat dogs too. Yeah. Can't right. get over that right. one. It's so much worse. <laughs> right. But in Westeros, like you said, and like Tyrion said, it's all, it's the same thing. Even this guy, Yezin, I think maybe it's important that he's nice so it bolsters his point later where he's thinking of, you know, a lot of these guys probably treat their slaves just fine. Right. Maybe even better than some lords in Westeros treat their small folk. Well, Definitely you, the Boltons. Right. Well, right. Think about right. people like that. Right. And, or we were just talking about, even yeah. with Victarion, his um, maister, you know? Oh, yeah. He's, yeah. That he... See, but they're so weird. And it's like, was it normally like that? Like under Balin's rule, do you think that it was like that in the Iron Islands? I don't know. It's hard to say, but it just plays into the same thing of like, we see that repeatedly in Westeros, just under a different name. How much cruelty is really allowed, though? Like, I'm wondering how how a much, lot. we could probably ask Sinya and cast this, but how much were the Boltons allowed to waver off of what Ned would think would be acceptable when Ned was the Warden of the North? I mean, I would put Ned, probably, I would guess me not knowing anything about anything that Ned, somebody like Ned's going to turn a blind eye to somebody like how they're treating their really small folk. Really? Yes. Cause it's like, it's like none of his business. You know right, what I mean? Okay. It's like, that's your house. What you're doing inside the walls of your own home, as long as it doesn't affect, I mean, that's not the right attitude wow. to have, but you know what I mean? What so. a long, long example that George is painting at the hypocrisy of how we, how we treat each other and like the balance that is struck and, yeah. And just the people being like, eh, okay, that's okay. As long as I'm getting what I want and it's not too uncomfortable right now, it's fine. We see it with Yezen's guards, or rather with his soldiers, with with sweets. I was just going to say. With what the setup with Nurse used to be before he met his untimely demise. It's like none of this was necessarily good Mm -hmm. or something that we like thought was the best version of our lives, but it works and there's a little hierarchy that I can operate within, and it's fine. I've got my click. I'm at least taken care of in some regard. But instead of it being like it is in Westeros, it's a version where I'm wearing a collar and I'm running around with the same bells that annoyed domestic house cats have. Right, right. There's a moment I want to read. Um, Sweets is talking about how Yezin must live or we all die with him. And it goes... Those are from my notes. So I'm not quoting. In this chapter. Sweet sounds numb in this kind of thing that she's saying. It says, even more than just the fear of having her throat cut, alone amongst Yezin's treasure- treasures, she actually seems fond of their immense master. And so it just kind of ties into more of what we're saying. If like For somebody like Sweet's life as life at, under Yezin yeah. as a treasure is much greater and much more bountiful than what's going to happen, which is gone. Especially for someone like Sweets being hermaphrodite. Yeah. So especially in Essos, I'm wondering like how they treat dwarves there. Mm-hmm. Anyone that's different. Right. Exactly. So it's 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 a very delicate and interesting conversation. And I think something really cool is they're ta- talking about. Is it the soldiers or the randos at the well? They're talking about when Daenerys, when Tyrion sees Danny. The randos at the well. Yeah, the randos at the well. And he s- talks about when he sees her and he's kind of thinking about that. And his, instead of kind of focusing on Daenerys herself, the thing that really stuck out in Tyrion's memory is seeing Barristan Selmy. 
Oh, geez. And so, and, you know, Barristan and Selmy's relationship or not relationship with Tyrion and kind of how that's going to play out. Yeah. And so, as we're thinking about this broader question of slavery in, in Marine and this system that is in place in Westeros and entrenched in the culture, thinking about how somebody like Tyrion and Barristan kind of, if and when they come together, mm-hmm. the types of conversations that they're going to have, the types of um, clashes that they may or may not have. Um, how they're going to receive each other. Um, what do you think about that at all? That is something that I, I just have not been thinking about. There's so much other stuff going on. I've been thinking about Vic and Barry and just Barry living his best life in general that I haven't put a lot of thought toward <laughs> what it's going to look like whenever he comes face to face with another Lannister this far from home. Right. I mean, I don't, I think that from the chapter, it kind of seems clear, at least from Tyrion's thoughts. He just, can't really imagine anything but hostility just given right. Barristan's history Judgmental with his nature. family and with Jamie and things like that. Um, so it probably can't be anything but negativity. And especially if Tyrion comes in here swinging with these ideas and these observations. Um, right, but I like his ideas and observations. Well, yeah, we do because we're biased towards him. But, but when, don't you think Barry would be a little bit gratified by it? Like, okay, like someone talking some sense because these guys are trying to feed me dog. Yeah. And everyone's got a name <laughs> that sounds almost exactly the same. And, you know, he's getting solace from training his his new knights. But apart from that, at this point in the story, especially being off of the back of the, 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 Queen, the Queen's Guard chapter with him, I mean, I feel like putting someone from Westeros in his corner, no matter who it is, maybe he'd begrudgingly accept that it was Tyrion would be a boon to his self-esteem. Potentially. Or excitement to what's happening. I mean, maybe, but, you know, given kind of their history, it's like you see a familiar face, but it's like the last guy you want to see. He just sees Tyrion as a scumbag. Yeah. So. As a complete scumbag. You know, and we may never get to that point. I mean, Barrison could very well, like, not make it through the battle. I think mm-hmm. that that's probably a pretty likely thing, so he might not get there, but I just... I think that um, a lot of, to me, like the point of this chapter, like I was saying at the beginning of the episode, is just like Tyrion kind of flexing with everything that he knows and like reminding us like, here's like, here's me doing my thing uh-huh. in this camp. And here's what I, like, here's my resume of what I can offer. We're just going to walk over here when everyone's scared to like, oh my God, don't, don't disobey the, the command of our master. Right. If we go too far from this area. You know, we might get treated like Jorah, might get put in a cage and be beaten within an inch of our life. It's like every we haven't night. left the camp. We're good. Exactly. That's yeah. good energy, though, uh-huh. honestly. In yeah. that moment, that's kind of, kind of how you social, social engineer yourself into many situations. I mean, like, why didn't they think of it sooner? I guess this is the moment to think of it soon enough, but that's all it takes, really, is what I'm saying. Like, you're talking about him flexing, and I'm more, I'm more in the, of the mind of he, that is what's happening, but it's not because he's trying to be this smart no no scholarly no, no. kind right. of like stretch right. strategist he's just like what are we all doing he's here? observing right he's just being observant right yeah. okay yeah. so he's being observant he's noticing what's going on and he's, he's like, taking control he's taking control exactly he's doing the math he's getting the details and he's decided that the risk versus reward for yezin being dead means that they're either going to kill his favorites along, which is like a, if you guys haven't read the chapter, that's what the, uh, what Sweet says is kind of like the custom for his favorite slaves. But I guess since he hasn't died yet, it's not like a style that he hasn't put forward. It's probably just how it is there in Yunkai. Maybe in Slaver's Bay in general, probably in less civilized societies, that's probably how it is. Definitely doesn't seem like that's the vibe in Westeros. And that's kind of what we're talking about in, in the first place. It's kind of like this weird transition between these old ways 
and the sensibility of Tyrion having been involved with the new way, but also not within like the serving class of the new way. So he's able to see this like many le- levels of separation. Even when he's face to face with Brown Ben, you get a sense of this whole thing is kind of a joke. Mm-hmm. And isn't it a joke? It's a game of side mess. Exactly. Yeah. The, but his, his rugs are threadbare. He's turned his cloak twice already. Who even is this guy? Right. Well, I mean, that's kind of his reputation a little bit right. about Brown Ben Plum, which just adds like a whole nother layer to Tyrion's whatever. Maybe his like comfort walking into there and like knowing that he can intellectually do somersaults around him. Is I that guess. what it is? I don't know what I was trying to say. That, <laughs> <laughs> like truly, if I'm being honest with you, I don't know where I was going with that. Other than I just, when you get Penny saying, where are we going? Why are we going this way? And Tyrion's like, I know she's going to follow me no matter what. And then he walks in and it's like, they're going to the second sons. And they show up and roll in. And Tyrion kind of is able to walk in with some swagger because he knows Brown Ben Plum knows who he is. Right. And then Jorah speaks and they're like, what? Jorah Mormont? Like, Mm -hmm. what the heck? Yeah. And then wine is being poured. You know, it's like all of a sudden things are just so wildly falling right into place. Yeah. (laughs) Around. Um, Why do you think it was so easy? Well, I was about to say, I like what you said about how Tyrion isn't necessarily like trying to force the issue. He's just very observant and he's just like, been playing his cards so you think about like so when he talks about we go over to jorah and he says something i need to find it about how um bondage didn't do was like not it for jorah bondage didn't look good on him but Tyrion's kind of been able to not thrive necessarily but he's he's been able to kind of keep his wits about him and kind of um continue to play the quote-unquote game i think like a really big turning point for him is when he kills nurse yeah we get that revelation and it's like ah it's like he got some of his swagger back a little bit or like he got some of his he regained control a little bit so nurse gets out of the way even though nurse was like already almost on the deathbed right. but for whatever reason Tyrion decides to kind the of master always pays his he finalized that blow and then um, it seems like everything with Yezin is going south. And so this is his south opportunity. Fast. It's like he's able to um, see that the train is moving and he's been paying attention long enough that he's able to kind of jump on and use that momentum as like, this is our my last ditch effort kind of thing. Um, it's he, a pretty good last ditch effort. It is. He rolls into the tent and he says, your best bet is to come roll with me to be on my side he's like take me back to cersei whatever but here's what i can offer you and here's why i think you should listen to me and now all of a sudden Tyrion has a second in with daenerys really i mean if you think of barrison as like a quote-unquote in with daenerys maybe maybe not now he's got like a second in and like all of a sudden the tides have completely turned for him i think that barry could be an in and you're saying this, and I'm feeling kind of impressed, but at the same time, I'm thinking about where Tyrion has been in the story and how far he's fallen. It's like, it's so funny that this is good now. He started at the bottom, now we're here. Like, he's literally at the bottom literally at this at point. Literally at the bottom. But I was, I was asking about why do you think it was important, because George is writing this, and I'm wondering if it was just uh, maybe, like, we've reached the end of needing to be strategic as far as the meaning in every single moment and flourish in the story, and there's enough there's enough evidence, there's enough details to tell us what we're looking for already to need the, there to be a poetic reason why it was such a 
quick shift for him to go from the shit tent to the wine tent without much trouble, you know? To me, that seems more realistic, though. I mean, to me, like, I don't know. I guess that's just, like, more of, like, a narrative, narratively realistic with the momentum shifting. It's, like, like very much of a momentum shift. The beginning of this chapter I was reading, and I was like, this is so boring. Not really, but I was just like, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on and a lot of people involved and a lot of people are just, like, talking and yada, yada, yada. And then you get to him in the tent. It's like, wait a second. Or in Brown Ben Plum's tent. It's like, wait a second. I need to, like, go back and reread this chapter with, like, that in mind and remembering that that's kind of where we're going. Um, I guess, yeah, narratively, like, he kind of gets a little bit easy. But he hasn't had it easy. And the reason why it seems easy is because he's able to kind of walk in and he's already set the groundwork with Brown Ben Plum. Mm -hmm. Like, he's already... Played the games of Cybass with him. Yeah. And and he's already been Tyrion. He's already has value attached to his head. And he knows... What he has to do, it's like he doesn't really have very many other opportunities. So it's like YOLO, which, well, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> I guess literally, I didn't mean to do on purpose, but I don't know what I'm really trying to say. But I think well, I don't maybe know what I'm asking anyway. It potentially makes you what you're saying is like it, this seemed too easy for him. Well, but, I just, mean, I don't know. I feel like a, a good artist is putting uh, intention in every step of the process. So I'm wondering what he was doing here. I was genuinely curious about it when I read it. The momentum is going off. The pages are falling. This is how really like smart. The, yeah. So he's so he's that, been preparing for this for a long time. Okay. Okay. So that's it then. I think so. I mean, I think you look at like the way he took take like how he's been treating Penny, for example. Yeah. As Tyrion has kind of been quote unquote thriving, not really thriving, more so than Jorah in this situation. <laughs> to me, he's obviously kind of been playing the long game like you look at somebody like penny he's trying to like keep her chill Mm -hmm. keep her in line keep her at his side keep her happy you know i don't know what that has to do with anything but it sounded like something that had to do with something when i started talking about it (laughs) he just seems like he's kind of playing the long game i mean obviously he's playing the long game this whole thing has been the long game but I just feel like he got rid of Nurse and he just got some skip in his step. That's so funny. And he was just able to just, now all the pieces are falling into place and so he's just going to go out there and get it and he's going to say all this stuff to Brown Ben and then as we'll see in like the next couple chapters and as we've already talked about with his Winds of Winters chapters, I Mm -hmm. mean, how he uses Brown Ben Plum or doesn't use him to eventually get to Daenerys I think is going to be a really interesting thing to play out because we can see the we can see the whole thing. I would have never come up with this. The the I would have seemed too too much of a gamble to send Tyrion out east like this. As a writer of the story, can you imagine? It and is a, a crate gamble. Full of wine. Back to Illyrio. And he says to so himself. Cool. I mean, he says at some point at the very very beginning of this chapter, um, and I really liked it. I don't think I ended up highlighting it as one of my own. But he kind of talks about how he's somehow accidentally almost seemingly he ends up on the other side of the world on the wrong side of the world so he's thinking back to you should read it um okay i might have said it too by now griff and duck and how then half half mesa would be in westeros with their young prince i should be with them the paragraph continues and here i am on the wrong side of the world wearing a slave collar with little golden bells to announce my coming if i dance just right maybe i can ring the reins of castamere so he kind of has that moment too in his with himself of like, how the heck did yep. I get here? Yep. I don't want to go any further. This is as far east as I'm interested in going. Yep. Also, what am he I doing? Knows he deserves it. 
Right. Well, yeah. It's, yeah. I get that vibe. He's like, I could have been there, but I ended up here. I had to have the whore. He also um, kind of makes a similar comment, which I think was potentially going to be my own, um, where he's like sloshing with the water after this. They've already received, gotten the water and they're starting to walk away. And he's like, had I had known um, water slosh from his pails with every stride splashing around his legs whilst his bells played a marching song. Had I known it would come to this father, I might have let you live. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, this is a wild series of events mm-hmm. that led me in this wild place. Yep. Um, that's, that's what I mean by him deserving. And not necessarily like he earned this in his life, but he, he's also contemplating that as well. Right. But it's like, what steps let, Oh, I under, he, he understands the steps that led him here. It's so not like he's can, not confused by it. At right. All. It's like, let's go back. He's got the arrow. He flashes forward and he's like, eh, which which would I rather have? Which is more interesting? If you have to work, like if you have to be a a, a productive cell on the body of Planetos, listen, you don't even have to be productive, I guess. But if you don't move, you're going to turn into Yezin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but still, he's productive, presumably. Maybe mm-hmm. he inherited all that gold. Maybe it was wise decisions with his brain. I don't know. But you got to do something, right? And he finds himself moving and physically doing the labor of a of a cell on the body of Planetos, and it's carrying water in the midst of a plague mm-hmm. and a war that he doesn't care about. Right. Separated from the people that he's supposed to be involved with, satellite wise, like Daenerys, and like he was saying, like young Griff. And then of course everything that's happening back on Westeros. It's so crazy. It it's is- so cool that he's at the pit of the very bottom of it and thinks about it as if like that's what reality calls for. In that moment, he has to. It's like, it's like he has to work through it. You know, mm-hmm. it's like having a conversation right now about the chapter. It's, it's, it's in our head until it's out, right? And he has to work through it. And so right. he's he's literally thinking those things. And I think that that's really the same energy with how he's thinking about the way slavery and power dynamics are separated between the East and the West, and uh, with the way that he's feeling about how the gods have put him in this position, not only but also creating people like he and Penny to live on this earth and to feel such a vast inequality from each other. Mm-hmm. Right. He can't make sense of it, and I can't either. It's I feel just, like that is too great of a mystery for all of us to understand. Right. It's just fun that it's Tyrion. It know? is so fun that it's Tyrion, but it sucks. It's really fun. It's like he says, it's like if this if this is a realm created by gods for sport, they must be cruel and terrible mm-hmm. because this is cruel and terrible. And like it seems like they're having a great time with me as I carry these water buckets. Right, right. Digging and then grooves in, into my hands. Then in juxtaposition, I feel like I've said that word a lot this podcast. I'm annoyed with myself. I by think it. you're at number two right now. Okay, that's, cool. That's totally. I feel okay. like two is probably too good. many. Uh, it's a crazy word. <laughs> it's so. a it's a move on a Mewtwo, one of Mewtwo's Pokemon cards, and I've always been curious about it since I was a small person. That being said, you can say as much as you want. Great. In contrast, we've got this. Another really great paragraph that I want to read. It's really long, but I think it, it's worth reading. He envies he, this whole time. He's got Penny like prattling along next to him, asking all these things and making her own observations from her own point of view, from the own life that she's led. Um, and Tyrion says, or he thinks himself, sometimes he envied the girl and all her pretty little dreams. There's a typo in here, which is really funny. She reminded him of Sansa Stark, the child bride he had wed and lost. Despite the horrors Penny had suffered, she remained somehow trusting. She should know better, he thinks to himself. She's older than Sansa, and she's a dwarf. She acts as if she has forgotten that, as if she were a highborn and fair to look upon instead of a slave in a grotesquerie. 
At night, Tyrion would oft hear her praying, a waste of words. If there were gods to listen, they were monstrous gods who torment us for their sport. Who else would make a world like this, so full of bondage, blood, and pain? Exactly mm-hmm. what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Who else would shape us as they have? Sometimes he wanted to slap her, shake her, scream at her, anything to wake her from her dreams. No one is going to save us, he wanted to scream at her. The worst is yet to come. Yet somehow he could never say the words. And then it goes on to kind of talk about how instead he's just like really sweet to her. And he's like, I've paid her yeah. so much false coin that she half thinks she's rich. You should read that part where he says, he's basically saying instead of being impatient with her, he he, he, he squeezes her shoulder. Yeah, exactly. Or gives gives her a hug every touch a lie. Why does he? Why is he nice to her? Because it's such a good question. It's so easy to be impatient with this person. There's two things that kind of come from that. Is one, why is he so nice to her? Like their relationship, and two, I cannot freaking wait for Tyrion to meet Sansa again oh, and to yeah. see the powerful woman she has blossomed into. But I, I, I Tyrion and Penny's relationship is really interesting to me because you think about somebody like. You think about somebody like the Hound and Arya, where the Hound is always kind of grating on her of like everything is the absolute worst. Why do you have any sort of, even someone like Arya is like, why do you have any sort of like n- nice look of the world? Or like with Sansa, like, you know, the Hound just like pull. pull. The first sort of Bravo is killed by Marin fucking Trent. Yeah, he's just like <laughs> this overbearing negativity. And Tyrion also is filled with so much darkness. But with Penny, I mean, this is really sweet, you know? And I think that... But why? Why, why is he looking out for her? I think that, like, he has somebody to, like, take care of. Like, it gives him, like, an opportunity to kind of, like, be the the guy. And, like, somebody's, like, relying on him in a real way mm-hmm. that, I don't know, it's like a very basal human instinct to, like, want to provide, I think. And so Penny might fulfill a role in that in some way. But I just like that he lets Penny... Like he just tries to kind of keep the world from her and sure that maybe leaves her a little bit naive. Um, is he isn't going to die? We're all going to die. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, is he going to die from the disease? And she doesn't know about like the pits. She barely even understands that there's a war going on. She's like, there's a war? She didn't realize that they were going to get fed to the lions. Yeah, like all this kind of stuff. Everyone was pissed off that they came back from right. the, the pit. And Tyrion's like, I noticed it immediately. You know, right. she's just like this girl who's kind of very naive and so he doesn't get it though because she's not been treated to the degree of naive not to been treated so nicely that she could generate this on her own i think that he maybe her optimism and her general like warmness to the world in the face of all the shit that she's gone through her whole life is so foreign to him that he maybe he wants to protect it or encourage it or i don't know i don't even know if it needs encouragement but i feel like if there was a person to destroy it that he probably could that's the thing yeah it's like her coping mechanism that to me is like gonna be 100 percent the most annoying thing that he could think of on planet earth that is so annoying just for the record very annoying but i mean they've been through a lot together and i think he's like fond of penny in this interesting way he like hates that penny tries to touch him but she he still is like really fond of her and i think um I read it as him, maternal instinct isn't the right word, but some sort of like provider type of thing. I think um, especially I could see in a dark situation like that when they're being held, they're slaves. I mean, and so yeah. him having, that's like something to kind of help his will to continue to like push forward and make a plan, not necessarily for Penny specifically, but just for this idea of like, I've got people relying on me. So like, let's make moves what would you think would happen to Tyrion if something bad happened to her in front of him 
Tyrion has seen so much stuff yeah. that like I can't imagine that being like I think that would be sad and tough. I don't yeah. necessarily see it as like a breaking like <laughs> much more of a breaking what, point. What is he? a breaking point do you think for him? I think he's already past that. Really? Yeah. What do you think of Shay? Shay and Tywin? I bed? think his break yeah, I think that that's his breaking point and his whole voyage across as he's drinking himself sick for months like on the end. Basal coping. I would think transition. that that's his lowest point. Okay. I would like to think that that's the case. Wine and whores, he yeah. says. Yeah. Well, wine is the thing to drink if you want a headache. For real. Like, if you want to have a splitting headache, just drink just a slightly off grape juice for a while. You know what I mean? Just enough mm-hmm. grape juice to right. make you feel fucked up and to throw <laughs> up the whole thing. It's uh, Tyrion's fave. He's real thirsty at the end of this chapter. Can't wait to pour me a glass. He's like, I feel like I'm going to be talking for a while. So I need something. What do you think the differences are between Essos and Westeros from his observation? But like on top of that, what do you think like the ones that you know about because you're able to sort of God mode read everything? And like within that, what do you think that I, mean, I, I want to mention Danny because I don't feel like anyone else is going to care because I think that she's the only one. That is going to use, I don't know if she really cares that much either deep down. But right. That's why I should just say, I don't know if anyone else, like for example, Young Griff or even John Con, maybe Jon Snow. I'm trying to think of reasons she's why. Like really name dropping a lot of people right now. Yeah, it's pretty impressive, right? <laughs> I know a lot of names from this story. Uh, I, would they, I think that she might be the only one to find a reason outside of, very tactical personal gain to like it let me start that point over in her pov chapters i think that she would be thinking about not only strategy but oh my god look at these things i've noticed about this place whereas inside of john con's brain it'd be more about his past and more about what it takes for them to get what he wants what kind of things do you think that she will notice or that you've noticed that sort of are the differences but are sort of the same between these places like cultural differences? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, I think the way that Tyrion, the way that George painted this connection between the way that people treat their lessers and really the division of power was great. Mm-hmm. And it was yeah. probably something that he's been working toward the whole time to find a, a a reason to dissipate this perspective to us. And like I said, he did at the very rock bottom of, I think, his favorite character's POV. Yeah. And I've said before that I'm not that interested in this part of the story. And that isn't saying much because I make a podcast about it. So obviously I really like it. But out of all of it, I've said before that it's probably like the worst feeling to me. Like it feels like it seems here. It feels smoky. It feels like somewhere I don't want to be. And I feel like the first couple paragraphs of this chapter try to scare you off. But if they don't scare you off, you break into the heart of a lot of the story here. And I'm wondering what else you think that there is. Because I've really liked what he sort of dispelled. But I think that there's more that we could come to. Like more conclusions that we can come to. Maybe even ahead of Danny. Maybe even ahead of the ones of winter. Maybe even ahead of A Dream of Spring. Like what is left on the table for them to work through mm-hmm. or to notice or to have to deal with? I mean, I think that there's a lot. Only so, and I this might not be an answer to your question. But this is what I'm thinking about as you're asking the question. We think about like all the chaos that's leading us to this battle. Yeah. And then also, we've been talking a lot about that over the last 
you know, whatever X amount of time. Yet, what we haven't yet had the opportunity to really talk about, we've talked about a little, is like kind of what happens after the battle and the aftermath and the fallout, which I think will be just as chaotic, if not more potentially. Because you look at somebody like Daenerys, who's back in the picture, somebody like Barristan, who may or may not be there, somebody like Brown Ben Plum, who's participating in some way, somebody like all the 10,000 players that are converging on Noreen. You look at like Tyrion. Volantis, Karth. We're getting a lot of big major players that are going to be on the scene at the same time. And regardless of who kind of comes out on top, there's going to be so many decisions about how they move forward next and so many conflicting opinions and ideas. And so say all the characters in this chapter, the main guys in the chapter, Tyrion, Barristan, um, Jorah Mormont, Brown Ben, blah, 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 all these people survive to the end and Danny, the end of this battle and Danny comes out on top. Each one of these people has had such a vastly different experience and such a wildly different perspective because they've all been in like every single different aspect that you could be in. They're coming together to make a decision on what happens next and where they go to next. I just think there's going to be this struggle and inability to kind of come to one joint conclusion on what is our best move and motivation and where do we go next and who do we bring with us and who do we listen to and who do we not listen to. Um, And so I think that's going to be very chaotic. Once the dust of the actual battle settles, we'll have much more like deep political struggles. Why? After all that. Because, I mean, these people don't know each other and these people... Everybody has such strong, differing personalities and everybody has such different needs and ideals. And um, I just think that there is going to be conflict about how to, agree on. how to move forward. So it takes something like Danny's power or presumably three full grown dragons to be like that. We'll follow that thing. Right. It's probably a relief to have a standard to agree on because otherwise, what do we do? Right. Or somebody to, like, lend a hard hand. I don't know. That probably didn't answer your question in the slightest. Well, but. it's something. I feel like there's there's a, <laughs> mi- there's a million possibilities. Yeah. I'm thinking about Jorah and Tyrion and their styles of how they – because they're both essentially from the same idea of, of class. I know that House Mormont's different than House Lannister, obviously, but – and Jorah's been exiled and stuff. But, you know, for, for what it's worth, they're highborn, right? Sir Jorah, blah, blah, blah. The way he deals with these guys versus the way Tyrion does in this chapter, there's a moment that really like made me feel really bad. Whenever Tyrion whines to Scar, when at first he came out feeling the kind of confidence that he needed to have in order to communicate something to get it done quickly, not necessarily to try to flex his like confidence on everybody else around him to make himself feel bigger. There's no need for him to feel big. He's not big, and he's messed up looking. And he rides a, a pig. Yeah. <laughs> and he's wearing a collar right, right now. But everyone is wearing a collar, so right. it's a thing. But he goes, he, he steps out of the tent after Sweets requests fresh water, not water from the Skahazadan, because the healer says, back to the very beginning of this conversation, the healer says Yezin needs fresh water. He's doomed, but what yeah. he needs is fresh water. Let's read that quote. I want to start it from the brown slime. Y'all remember that. <laughs> His shit had turned to brown slime streaked with blood. 
I've been trying to steer away from this convo <laughs> since the beginning of the episode. I, all, I don't know where I am. I'm coming back to it. <laughs> and it fell to Yolo and Penny to wipe his yellow bottom clean. Even with assistance, their maester could not lift his own weight. It took all of his failing strength to roll onto one side. So when Tyrion steps out of the tent and he's asking Scar, telling all of them that they need water fetched. Instead of listening, obviously, they're like, wait a second. We know Yezin's in a harsh state. We know that war's about to break out. We're going to eat your animals and probably rape Penny and while you watch. So we're probably not going to listen to you right now. And then they start hitting him. And then he like becomes weak and speaks weakly. And then they allow him to so interesting go to carry the water. Yeah. He doesn't put up much of a fight at all. No, he's like very much groveling. But it's not like he's not a fighter, right? It's just not what's necessary in that moment. Like he's reading the room. You're right. He he strategizes through it. And that's clear to me. Jorah, on the other hand. Yeah. He refuses to even like acknowledge that they're people. He refuses to acknowledge that he's been purchased. He refuses to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to sing and dance. That's why this hasn't looked like he looks... Tyrion notices that he looks the way that he looks. He's like, Jorah really hasn't been, he hasn't been playing along here. He's a shell of the man, is what he says. He's a shell of of what he is. And so Tyrion, I guess, assumes, judging from some of his uh, italics, his inner thought in this chapter, that Jorah is on a track for love for Danny. Yeah. So I guess that's been evident since they've been together. That's a a storyline with Jorah that I tend to like just ignore in my own brain because it seems too literary and like part of something that would be in a book. But maybe that is really how he feels about Danny. We we shall see. She is pretty cool, right? Yeah, it, I mean for lack of like more interesting words to describe her. He really is going her. all out for her. Right, he's and going doing all the out most. for her. But yeah. there's not much that he can do in this situation other than this. Mm-hmm. But when we think about their styles, they're from similar places. Jorah's already been exiled and so is Tyrion, right? Self-exile. Jorah refuses to even acknowledge this is a thing that's happening. And for result, every night when the sun goes down, Yezin's men beat the living shit out of him. It must be fun because he doesn't fight back at all. Actually, it's probably less fun because he doesn't fight back yeah. for them. That must be pretty annoying. But those are the differences in the style, right? So with the people that are going to be making their decisions after this war is over, and Presumably without a Danny there, without dragons to kind of unite everyone. How do people with these differing styles, someone that's willing to grovel, people that are not going to even, they're going to alpha their way through this until they're dead. They'd rather die than even acknowledge that this is a thing. How do they reach some kind of uh, an agreement when Vic's there with his new hand and Barry is like, I don't trust any Lannisters, but I don't really know you that well, but still there's something about you. I don't really like. Plus I hate Brown Ben hate that guy. And then Danny comes in. Jesus Christ. That's what's so exciting about getting to the latter half of the series. And that's, what's so disappointing. Almost the most disappointing thing about the way the TV show handled it, because oh, there God, was just yeah. no conflict. Yeah. You know, you bring all these nothing. You bring all these main characters together who've all been the main character of their POV since day one. Yeah. And everybody else has been against them. And now all of a sudden they're in each other's POVs and trying to build uh what does Daenerys say? Re I'm I'm gonna break, break the, the wheel. wheel. Yeah. They're trying to break the wheel, you know, and kind of build a new world in a way that yeah, she doesn't get into it. Ideals. It's like why she doesn't. It doesn't actually get into why she wants to break the wheel. Like if they would have made this connection about 
Westeros appearing, it would have been, it would have gone so well. Maybe it's one sequence that you do with like little finger, like, hey, the people of Westeros are actually <laughs> slaves. You know right. what I mean? Make some kind of connection between those two cultures. Right. Uh, it's hard to call Essos one culture because there's so many different places. But I feel like within Westeros, barring somewhere like Dorne and then places like the Iron Islands, it's kind of like under the same idea. That would have been so effective. Right. All of that aside, I mean, I think that that's why this, all of this, everybody coming together is just really exciting. Because so, so that's what you thought of when I was when I was asking about like what are the possible things like left on the table. Right. Yeah. So that's what I'm. That's like to me like kind of the next step. So we get through this hurdle and this mirror not. We yeah. finally untangle it. Right. And then we move on to what's then going to be almost <laughs> trickier and more players involved and yeah. um, more deeply rooted in. I mean, I think that we're going to have to – something that is going to be interesting in such a much more meta conversation about the end of the series as a whole, it's going to be interesting because we're going to have to, like, pick sides against or for people that we've been rooting for this whole time, you know? Like, somebody, like, if we look at this arc of Daenerys is going to kind of lose it a little bit near the end. Like, are we going to be rooting against her at some point? You know, as we've spent all Not this me. time rooting for her to get to Marine, or do we root for – Jon Snow, who's like tasked with this thing to, you know, who do you choose in that kind of right. scenario? And so, um, yeah. That once- is something. I was just thinking, like, I don't know. I'm probably not going to be that separated in the way I feel. But then if you put Sansa and Jon with a United. In those POVs. In a, a real POV. Not not some, like, shallow version no, 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 of the like story. The but, real, like, the real shit. Yeah. In it, thinking about how they're going to. Um, who, who has that conversation with Tyrion about killing Daenerys? in the tv show is it john oh it's john and Tyrion. yeah yeah they're like there and they yeah, kind of have that last like episode yeah the la- they kind yeah. of have this like semi-combo where they're not really saying it the but they're Tyrion like oh. in two or three seasons that was but you know imagine that pov like when we get it from john's perspective and we get it from Tyrion's perspective both of them thinking about what they're supposed to be doing we got daenerys's perspective yikes all this stuff is just like such a thrill to me and so those are the major conflicts that come after we get over this hurdle of the Miranese not. But then it's still just personal. And that's what I'm wondering. Like I said, sure. that Danny seems to be the only one that sort of even convinces herself within her points of view that like part of her goal is to sort out these problems that she notices. But that's also kind of her downfall a little bit. Because she's less personally motivated? Because she just is trying to be this savior. Yeah. You know, and so. I Why th- is that not okay, though? Is that because it separates the intensity of you dealing with yourself? I'm not Self-preservation? sure. Self-preservation? But I think that George got himself in this situation. Then that's why he's talked about how much hard it's been to get out of it. Because it's like, in theory, Daenerys's attempt to do all this really great stuff should be the right thing to do. But it really gets her in a really tough spot that she's having a hard time digging herself out of. And so having her then take that onwards. I mean, I think that's both a strength and a weakness of her. I think that that is probably the real meat of the story, that learning all of these, like, it's very satisfying to read Fire and Blood. It's very sad. Why are you laughing at me? Because I'm laughing at, this really is just about the Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, not only that, you know, it's not the Game of Thrones, but the- Song of Ice and Fire? No. <laughs> or the friends we made along <laughs> okay, the way. Sorry. None of that. It's the, it's, I don't know what it is, but from from what we're just talking about, this unresolved- 
is is this her style better which is better to be personally motivated or to even convince yourself because she's not lying to herself seemingly she does really seem to care like what's more effective that is sort of a meta conversation that seems like it's a much smaller question but it's actually a question that i don't know the answer to it's one that's not really being uh explored in the history books or in any of the supplemental content to a song of ice and fire i know other authors do it in their own way but keeping the universe to this the grayness of the world, the different levels of good and evil, the different uh, levels of how effective your strategy can be when not only dealing with yourself, but the needs of lots of other people. I think these things are in question. We know from Aegon I through all the Targaryens up until now, the potential pitfalls of strategy, of ignoring strategy, of being per too personally motivated, of not partnering up with the right people, even though you don't like them. All these other, all these things. There's, there's seemingly endless varieties and combinations of examples that can be made that are essentially like answering the question of probably like ten, answering like ten questions as they all get mixed up together. And I'm wondering about stuff that's yet to be answered, and that's really like tied up with people like John and Daenerys's effectiveness later in the game, mm -hmm. of which we have no idea. Because they've just been, like preparing this whole time to then show their strength of like, right? Yeah, their strength and their ability, and like where their decision making ultimately lands them. And what I was thinking about when you were talking about the possibilities of what's happening with Marine, it's got to say something. There's got to be meaning behind it. It, it's going to be random, but the thing is, all these different nodes, the Brown Ben, the the Barry, the, all the Giscari people, the people from Karth, people from uh, Volantis, all these, everyone, including the dragons, are all nodes representative of certain, like, self-possessed truths in this world, and how they attack each other and who wins is who our overlord in this story, George, is saying this is the real thing or this is less effective here. And sometimes, as we know, it's really unfair when things that should, because we like them or because they're quote-unquote good, exist, might actually die because two bads are against the good. And so seeing how that all works out in Marine is going to be really cool for me because I want to know what the, what it looks like when there's such a tumultuous explosion yeah. of all of it at once. There's kind of like a miniature version going on right now with the uh, the battle outside of Winterfell in the Crawford's Village. Mm -hmm. That's going to be cool. But this this is really where it's at. And it's so funny because I've been recording this podcast for way too many years for people to be not talking about this. I feel like the Myrnies not is always sort of begrudgingly referred to. And it's kind of like uh, an exhaustion point for people that are reading the story for plot. They're like, okay. And the story split. And so we keep, it's not like... We've got... But like we've gotten so annoyed about it too for sure because we're in the fun part of the mirror and he's not this and it's point. also more fun because we're reading a reading order right that we go from like one far off locale to the other and it's finally almost over but there's some points i can go back into the archives where i know at least i've been like come <laughs> well that on. was you the, like the first half of this chapter though right yeah because well yeah but not so much as like before earlier what but... about it made you feel like nah, blah, blah, blah. well like i mean you get into the beginning. Of, <laughs> you get into the beginning of the chapter. It's like, well, this is kind of like a, another filler chapter of like Tyrion running around. Right, but there's like, what have we figured out over the course of the show? More than anything, is that there are there really any filler there chapters? Happens, yes, there absolutely are. Like what? One thousand percent. There are filler chapters. I don't know, man. 
Um, Maybe it's because we put so much like emphasis on each one where I'm like, I don't know. Like I try to look at them isolated. There is many times when we finish recording and be like, I can't believe I talked about literally nothing for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I wouldn't put it past us. I feel like that's what there's all to do other than eat and like find different sodas and like different flavor combinations of energy drinks. What else is there to do? That's so true. Honestly. I mean, the trap that I always fall into is every time I read the chapter, I'm always trying to come at it from the perspective of the first time I read the series. Series, which was me reading for plot which i've talked about before mm-hmm. and you know you're like trying to get stuff to happen and so it's like the beginning of the chapter you know we got another guy who isn't doing good but or somebody that we don't <laughs> like i don't care yeah. about you know um i wouldn't say i mean i wouldn't say that i like was annoyed at the beginning of the chapter it was like five paragraphs and all of a sudden it got cool and interesting but um anyway i think that like the Miranese not seems much more fun and cool and exciting to talk about right now because we're at the crux of it. We're sure. at the every, all roads have led to here. Uh-huh. And, you know, look at us 25 chapters ago where it's like, could Daenerys just like make a decision and move forward and try something and like actually do something? Or are we going to sit here and she's going to stand at the top of her little pyramid and just sigh all the time? You we're know, we're going to keep learning about stuff we already know about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Both so. literally in the story, but also figuratively with these lessons. It's like, yes, I know. I right. hate it. It's unfair or it's fair. And yes, they do stuff crazy here in Marine. And we all love the slave pits. Exactly. We want the slave pits. Was got another day of what's his face coming to Aston Air to open up the. Yeah. Um, so this is like, this is the cool part. This is fun. So. So if you're reading other books. Or even reading this one, I know that A Song of Ice and Fire is written on a level of more wordiness compared to some. What about it, about this section of the story, do you think is the least attractive to you? Is it like the aesthetic? Is it the the the, the nature of their suffering? Because me, the marine section of the story, or where we're at with the battle coming up, the marine section. section of the story. Like, what do you? I'm kind of asking, like, what do you think other people are annoyed by? Because it seems like in mass, there's a couple. There's a couple things that people agree with, like when it comes to a dance with dragons or even a feast for crows, where it's like, okay, it's what I just not said. The most fun. Yeah, it's what I just said about but, Daenerys. Is like she is in this place, and it's like how I understand what you're trying to do. Yeah, I understand your ideals. I understand kind of like, but you're you're ruling on a one issue, like you're a one issue party at this point, and like you're not. Um, kind of thinking about the bigger picture. And so it's frustrating, I think. Like, oh, okay. We see all this really interesting stuff happening at Westeros, and Daenerys is still over here for so many chapters and for so long dealing with some of the same problems over and over again. Yeah. And moving from city to city, dealing with the same exact problems, but yeah. not fixing anything and just like kind of coming in, blowing everything up, and then moving on. And so it's like, what have we actually learned from this scenario? What have we actually accomplished from this scenario? How does this help? How does you leaving for Westeros after this change you leaving for Westeros 20 million <laughs> chapters ago? Yeah. Like, what have you gained along the way other than Tyrion's friendship, you know? And so I think that the, that can be frustrating because it seems like here is the quote unquote main character of the story doing everything but main character things. Yeah, but check it out, though. What is it that made the transition from Tyrion through the camp of potential hazards so easy? Perspective. For sure. Exactly. And I'm not like. And I feel like that's what we're getting. I'm not spending more time on here. Marine, like I would hate on Dorne, for example. <laughs> <laughs> 
me hating on Doran, that's like my true feelings on my real heart. Okay. Me hating on Marine is just kind of me answering your question okay. why people would feel that way. Right. I'm curious. But I it is frustrating because especially if you're reading for plot, which a lot of people, unless you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> like you're reading for plot, yeah. you know, yeah. you're not reading this. These books are thick and heavy and that's fun for us. We care about it. But it's like when you're just trying to get through the story, it's just like, okay. Right. Cool. Mm-hmm. There's you miss so much because it's just so dense. But that what's is also what makes it fun because it's like you can read this book for fifty million different reasons. If you want to nitpick it, you can. And if you don't want to nitpick it, then you can blast through it and it ain't no thing. So I feel like somehow weirdly you're saying like I mean, and I actually believe this about what I think your opinions and thoughts are, which is and you've said this before, it's like enjoying kind of the process. Like you are fine with the pace being a little bit slower and you're cool with all these like extra little details and these like intricacies. And I think that kind of comes from you having read the series at this slower pace and at this like different perspective. It's like you've just been able to soak up all of these small moments, making something like the Miranese not maybe a little bit more palatable because you've been able to sit on it for weeks at a time with each chapter. I think it's the same energy of watching really bad YouTube videos and finding so such pleasure in them or like drinking like an energy drink and being like, wow, this is so cool. They made the flavor like this. <laughs> just a little bit of uh, just, I don't know, like liking something, just trying to really like something. You just like the struggle. I mean, I guess I also really don't like struggle. So I don't well, know all three how of those things that, that you is. just uh, listed are all like you take it's struggle to get to the gems. I guess but. that's true. Um, what was I going to say? So in A Feast for Crows, I think you nailed it in describing the the friction in A Dance of Dragons. And to me, it sounds like knowing that she shouldn't be doing this. Like, it's useless to be doing this to for your overall goal in the first place. Is is that kind of the energy of A Feast for Crows where Bri- yes. Brienne's looking for Sansa? It's like, you're not going to find – we have her POV chapters. You're looking in the total wrong place. And so, like – is it that everyone we're meeting and everything that you're doing and all the meaning within it is kind of useless because you're not even doing the right thing? That's my, I, I, that's like my problem with, and <laughs> that's just like my problem with Song of Ice and Fire and was my problem with Song of Ice and Fire for so long because you get off of book three yeah. when it's just like so tight sure. and compressed and yeah. perfect and yeah. like the momentum builds in all the right places. Yeah. And then you get to book four and five, which are just like, slogs they're hard to get through they're really boring for a lot of time and there's just a lot of meandering and a lot of randos and a lot of names that you don't understand interfacing and nobody's interfacing with each other sure and so you know it's it's like it's in there what you're looking for but it's like separated at what cost at what cost to appreciate it like i have to sit here and talk to you for hours at a time (laughs) oh you know what i actually really like a feast or crows only because we've talked about it for like seven thousand hours But I think that like book six and seven, I would assume are going to be so much more palatable and so much more accessible Yeah, because we're not going to be, I, why am I, I don't know what I'm like, why well, I'm like hating on A Song of Ice and Fire, but um, it's just going to be much more accessible. And that's part of the reason why I was, part of the reason why I felt like this podcast was going to be an exciting experience for me is because I joined at some point in book three. Mm-hmm. And I was like, sweet, I can, maybe I can like actually like book four or I can, you know, like just like be a a hater for it and that can just live on and whatever. I don't really know, but, um, 
all of this to kind of tie back to a question that you asked me like four hours ago, which is the chaos that's going to ensue after this battle is just going to be such a major um, catalyst towards the action is just going to continue to be f- to fall as um, it's going to bring the next step a lot f- faster. It there's just to. no time for filler and not even in a bad way of like how the show handled. There's no time for filler more of and you know the reason why song of ice and fire is so great is because there's a lot of world building and because it's like very rich and there's right. a lot of depth but you know it's condensing the world's condensing <coughs> covid <laughs> <laughs> so what you were just talking about is kind of like experiencing the world building in real time you're saying that it's going to be uh, impossible for there to be filler at a certain point the reason that we're in that situation is because there's been all this setup, like all these chapters with this weird Greyjoy character right, so to lead us off, to being a Marine. You know, so oh, like it better pay it off. Like Dorne better pay off. You know, like right. I would love, love, love to be like, Hannah was such an idiot. And she was always like, what are we doing here? It's just so boring. <laughs> but now I can't avoid how strong my feelings are because because the the tertiary alternate characters in this chapter are the Sand Snakes or, right, exactly. or, or Ariane. I can't wait to be proven wrong. Or Dorne's going to like what the that country has been like for all of these years will change. I'm already asleep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so But like it could it could change forever. Right. Every these 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 Duran's grand plan. Duran Duran's last gonna... single was great. His <laughs> new one will be even better. No. But for real, like everything could change sort of seismically. Maybe even literally seismically. We don't know. We don't know. And so, you know, so that the promise of that's pretty exciting. It is very exciting. And I feel like as Tyrion inches closer towards his goal, mm-hmm. it the momentum builds. I like that we can be talking about all those possibilities while at the same time not knowing about Sothorios, which was, again, men- mentioned this chapter. Apparently, Yezin's been there. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he brought back a disease from there. Yeah. I guess I forgot that he was already in a state of love disrepair. Diseases. Over here, yeah. yeah. Diseases are great. Again, not a mask to be found in his whole tent. Yeah, <laughs> which I think it was important to be pointed out by the right. Ben's like helpers, right? Of which Tyrion was just outclassing in every regard, right? Just satisfying. Very but he should have like kind of thought about that before he rolled in. Yeah, no, someone should have been thinking about yeah. that, but no one was thinking about it. <laughs> Honestly, though, I like the, I love the exploding possibility like just on the edges of the map for lack of a better example but literally on the edges of the map Mm -hmm. waiting for us to find more in the story and yet there's so much important stuff happening right now that there's almost no need for it but like learning what happens to danny whenever or however she eventually returns to the situation i hope she does and knowing how that's going to be taking more precedent than going to a shy or going to sothorios or even north to northeast essos to find out to explore for whatever reason, if it were me and this was an open world video game, I would get on whatever the fastest horse or ship or the equivalent. I would do whatever I had to do to get to that point that I could find. And I would just ride all the way east and see what happens. Right. And it would probably right. be to my dismay. But I'd be like, you can't be here. Yeah. There's way too, you're going to do this whole thing before you do this. But maybe not in this book. Maybe if the universe is explored in other ways. I don't know. Well, Tyrion doesn't want to do that. He says in here in this chapter, he's like, I don't want to go any farther. I've gone as far <laughs> as I want to go. Well, that's where we differ, sir. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's exciting, though. We've got, I mean, really, we've got one last Tyrion chapter on this podcast because we've already done um, Winds of Winter. Holy we've crap. got one Tyrion chapter, which really is kind of a fallout of what happens in this chapter. And so 
that's kind of exciting when you think about it. Man. That's hopefully true. I'm pretty sure it is. One more question. Why did why does Tyrion say that he doesn't think wars are fought on parchment in this chapter? I I was confused by that because he's Tywin's son and Tywin specifically, I forget the quote word for word, but Tywin says something along the lines of so wars are often fought on the battlefield with swords and shield, but wars are also fought with ravens and quills. Which is like a direct takeaway from his dear old dad, who he loves to to think about it being effective. He thinks about Tywin being effective in this chapter. And yet he there's like that inconsistency. I know that that's not an accident either. Oh, I did not pick up on that. I'm looking for it right now. I have no idea. What did he say? He said that he... He said that the wars aren't fought on... Fought, fought. <laughs> he said the wars aren't fought on parchment. Wars are fought, like... Like, they're fought, you know? Because people are making promises on paper. Think about, like, Ned and Robert. And That's Cersei's so, like... Mmm. It's interesting that he says that, though, because in the next chapter, his next chapter, it's him. He's, like, dealing... He's, like, writing oh, yeah. out, like, 10 million That's different... That's probably why he doesn't care to do all that paperwork. Because yeah. he's like, whatever, this is bullshit. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe he's like gained more perspective than Tywin has because Tywin couldn't protect himself with a raven and a quill at the end of the day. It reminds me of in Hamilton when Hamilton's just like looking for a war that he can fight in so he can rise above his station. He wants to like be on the battlefield so okay. he can come out a hero. Got it. You know, the hit musical Hamilton. Yeah, I've heard of it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I still think it's cool as a guy named Hamilton and Hamilton. Right. Okay, got He's it. like trying to rise above his station. Maybe Tyrion is kind of saying something along the lines of like, I, I am saying literally nothing because I don't know what you're talking, talking about. <laughs> but maybe that's like what he's thinking is. Like, maybe. I don't know. I don't like there's a song. Maybe if you sang the song, I could get the context a little bit more. It's, pl- it's in my head. And does I'd he say rise above copyright. my station in it? Yeah, he does. That's like literally a <laughs> quote that I pulled straight from the musical. I'm going to watch that soon, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you would. Wow. um the water in this chapter really did sound sweet to me really yeah even when they talked about where it was they had to like go up to upstream and even then it wasn't good well that was the river water oh yeah they were like sweet water and it's like yeah you know what in the midst of all this smoke and ash and the oh just coming like running sewage running down his leg i feel like that is sweet, like the nectar of the earth. We, you know, when you get like good, cold, crisp water. Like, yeah. have you ever like pumped your own water? Yeah, on like a backpacking trip or like yeah. in the mountains. Yeah, and or that's at home. like yeah, the little thing. Or at home. Yeah. Next level. Yeah, it's coming from the inside. It's the blood of the earth, other than blood that the earth makes. Yeah, in us and lava and stuff. Right. But it's like kind of like a blood of the earth, and like we're in the middle of this camp. And it's the, hot. The, it's hot. It's hot. It's terrible. The only water that we have is, well, there's two sources. And I thought it was so interesting that we have the people that are too impatient to wait in line for the well all getting the bloody flux because it's in the river water. Because there's latrines upstream, but also because I'm assuming that corpses get into it. It's just not a good idea right now in the midst of a pandemic to be drinking from public water sources. Unless it's heavily filtered. <laughs> Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Are I'm you, not a biologist. COVID has I'm nothing not a molecular to do with biologist. Don't <laughs> you don't know that. But in this case, yeah. all you can do is wait in line, deal with like, a, again, there are some, like there's a, a strange vibe around the watering hole. So maybe that's a deterrent for people. But the patients rewarding you or not rewarding you in the situation is also something that's cool. But it really sounded so good to me. 
And I think that people should appreciate it more. It's easy to forget when you're from a place like Westeros with its bouncing waterfalls from one rock to the other and beautiful streams that it's something to undervalue. Yeah, we take it for granted. Not good. Not good. So water is pretty good. I would give water my own, but I feel like that's too obvious. So I will pass it to you. It's a very deep own, though, if you give it to that. It seemed like that that was where that was going. I thought about it. Um, I am. I'm going to give my own to a moment that we have briefly touched on, which is usually the case, because I feel like if you're going to summarize this chapter and kind of the point that Tyrion's at at this point in his journey, this is the best place, best way to summarize it. Um, As they're starting back with that sweet water, as you're describing, Mm, delicious, Um, a long walk on short legs. Water sloshed from his pails with every stride, splashing around his legs, whilst his bells played a marching song. Had I known it would come to this, Father, I might have let you live. It's just as it, I feel like that summarizes so much of the conversation that we've had today. So I give that my own. My own goes to the Tyrion and Nurse drama watered wine and lemon sweet, and some nice hot dog tail soup with slivers of mushrooms in the broth. Drink it down, Nursey. That shit water squirting from your arse needs to be replaced. The last word Nurse ever said was, no. The last words he ever heard were, a Lannister always pays his debts. And then we get him going to Brown Ben Plum, and it's all going to change. Hmm. Awesome. If you want to send in your own for this chapter or for other chapters, you can find us on Twitter, at Game of Owns, Instagram, Facebook, at Game of Owns, or you can email us at contact at gameofowns.com. I got an email to read <clears throat> from Kim Anderson. Hi, would you be interested in securing this domain domain name so you can redirect it to your website? Bar-athian.com. What? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kim. Thanks, Kim. <laughs> uh, we're good on that. <laughs> Really um, glad that doing a uh, I forget the URL of it that I specifically got so it'd be easier to find. Sorry, everyone. If you go to patreon.com, that's p a t r e o n.com slash goo g o o, I'm doing a solo read of the series, and that's more stuff to listen to if this is not enough. It's very good if you need more Song of Ice and Fire content. This was episode 456. And if that is not enough, go to patreon.com slash goo. Coming up on episode 457, we've got John 12, which is the 105th chapter in our A Feast with Dragons reading order, which you can find at afeastwithdragons.com. Wow. I feel like I've got so much more to say. But I don't Save know it for what your it solo is. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks for listening, everyone. This was really fun. And now we're gonna go drink Sweet Lightning from Mountain Dew from KFC. Oh my god! We'll if anyone's see. had it, please write in and tell us what you think. <laughs> Haven't had it yet, but probably from by this time next week, I'll have a experience with that beverage and a new T-shirt so. to represent tried. that experience. Hopefully. I really hope so. So, um, thank you for listening. Bye. Catch you later. Sorry about the sapphire. 